Humphrey Coliseum, where top 10 teams go to die. Welcome to the Maroon Mike Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. That didn't come through at all. Uh, Colton attempted to ring Did the cowbell. I uh, no, I didn't. We didn't hear. It must have a filter. It must have a filter for like really loud noises or something. It does because I've fooled around with that before when trying to play uh, music from a phone on the podcast. It there is a built-in filter through Zoom. Um, so you, that that's my co-host Colton Watson uh, trying to celebrate. Hey, what did they, what did it sound like? Nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I tried. We got nothing there, um, but it's a night we're celebrating, uh, and I guess it was worth attempting the cowbell as Mississippi State picks up a, its first top 10 win since 2018, taking down the ninth-ranked LSU Tigers 77-73. to Incredible game from Ja'Kalia Jordan. She goes for 24, but then really impressive bench players. Miracle Shepard, to me, with the way she played on defense, was the player of the game. She gives you 12 points, but was just dominant defensively, was tenacious and relentless on that side of the ball. Um, And Darian Rodgers, just a knockdown shooting night, 19 points for her on six of 10 shooting, including going four of eight uh, behind the arc, Um, you know, had a dagger shot there late to put an issue up six points. Just an incredible game on a night. You don't get a ton from Jessica Carter. You know, she, she doesn't have a big game and really, None of your starters outside of Jordan do much, but State's able to get the win. And, I mean, it's a huge win for Sam Purcell and his program. You had a sellout crowd, an absolutely electric atmosphere inside of Humphrey Coliseum. Bulldog Nation answered the call and showed up, unlike certain schools in the state of Mississippi. uh, You know, we get behind our women's team. And it it was a big-time win and a lot of momentum for the program going forward. It was huge. Um, I do think – I do tend to think that John Cohen left us in a good spot when it comes to sports that take place in Humphrey Coliseum on his way out the door. Uh, don't know if you could say the same for all the programs that he's managing over there on the Plains, but thank you, John, for that. Now that we have a real athletic director and uh, we're getting some of the money where it needs to go, I like where things are headed. Uh, you had an unfortunate football season, of course, but other than that, everything's com- kind of coming up Mississippi State the past couple months since John Cohen's departure. Uh, really, really, I can't say enough about the crowds tonight at Humphrey Coliseum. You had two sold-out games. on, and, and we talk about this a lot in the state of Mississippi, how hard it is to get up. You know, how you got John Cohen used to complain about this all the time, not to mention him twice, but – he, uh, you get all this trouble with people have to come from far away to these games. This game was at six. It's not like it was at seven, and it was, you know, it was hard to get off work for people on a weeknight to come uh, come to these games. And and two big turnouts in a row doesn't really happen at uh here at Mississippi State that often. Usually, you got to pick, you know, which which game you're going to go to in the weekend, unless it's like a Saturday Sunday deal. But you know, the Saturday the Saturday Monday thing. You know, you're not going to have a lot of people that can travel and then stay through the game on Monday night. And then you still manage to sell out the the Coliseum both times. That was incredible. And both times, and we've seen this happen time and time again at Mississippi State, you get a huge crowd, you build up a ton of hype. It's happened this year. 
uh, for the men especially. And then the team just comes up a little bit short and fails to deliver. Didn't happen this time. So you get both of these huge wins. Uh, we'll talk about the women's first. Um, in front of sold-out packed coliseums. And that's going to – that's a vicious cycle, a positive vicious cycle for Mississippi State. You build it, they will come. But if you come, they will build it. Kind of same thing. The crowd helps the team. The team keeps winning. The crowds keep coming. Yeah, no, look, it, you're seeing the Bulldog faithful get behind basketball um, it, on both sides in a way that you haven't seen in a long time. Obviously, all throughout the 2000s, um, you know, men's basketball, the hump was regularly one of the diff most difficult places to play in the SEC. Then you get into, you know, I guess the time, you know, when we are in school in, in, you know, the 2010s of the Vic Schaefer era, and Humphrey Coliseum becomes, I, I'll say, the toughest place to play in the nation. I think in terms of a women's basketball arena, in terms of the home court advantage, I understand there are teams that had more success in that run, um, you know, and like South Carolina fans do a great job. Um, you know, UConn fans obviously get behind those programs, but I think in terms of the an atmosphere itself leading to a team being successful, I, I don't think there was anything better than the hump when Vic Schaefer was, was at I mean, state. You had, you had undefeated home seasons multiple during that stretch, I believe. And you had an atmosphere that other teams teams just weren't used to playing in. And, like, again, I'm not trying to take away from some of the other great teams of that era, but I also – there's part of me – it's kind of like when people talk about Alabama football and, oh, Bryant Denny is one of this ridiculously tough place to play. And it's like, well, it can it's be, really but it's more that – sometimes it is. And in the past it has been, but it, really it's more that they're just better than everyone else. Maybe not for much longer. Um and like they just have better players, and it's tough to beat better players. And I think that's kind of when you talk about some of the other women's basketball powers, that's kind of the case for them because you didn't get fans behind it. But state fans were desperate for a product to get behind. They bought into Vic Schaefer and his style, and they made Humphrey Coliseum. Again, I think that it was the toughest place to play in women's college basketball. That fades a little bit there, though, when, when you know, and some of it's the unfortunate timing of, you know, Schaefer ends his career in the COVID season. So it's people kind of having to work to get back to games. Um, but you, you, you're now, okay. On the men's side, you're seeing the fan base be a little bit more consistent where, yeah, the, the game against Alabama was probably the best atmosphere you've had at the hump in a long time. And I would say these games since then, I wasn't in attendance for them, but I, I don't, it was probably a better crowd against Bama than it was against Auburn this past weekend, but you still had sellout crowds against, you know, Vanderbilt and Auburn. You still had a great atmosphere. The fan base was still willing to get behind it, which was a problem several years ago, where, especially throughout the Howland era, people would show up. If State lost that game, they said, screw it, we're not coming to another game all year. It didn't matter. The situation didn't matter. You're not seeing that now. And for the women's side, they've kind of been building up where it's like, okay, we're top 20 nationally in attendance, but clearly the fan base is not as invested as they once were. And that's not me getting on any kind of a uh, blaming anyone for that type deal because, look, you get you have to pick and choose what games you can and can't attend. But a call was made, and, for the, and the product wasn't the same. The product wasn't the same from, especially the, the in the COVID year and the year after the the COVID year, not the one that got cut short, but the one that you know, even though there's only ten percent capacity that first season after COVID, but the team wasn't as good. And then the next year, of course, they're kind of running on fumes, and it took a while. For, I mean, it's understandable. Still, I think it's incredible that they were top twenty in attendance anyway. I think that speaks a lot to our fans. Oh, absolutely. The state fan base never never abandoned women's basketball. You just weren't getting the packed houses like you had been. Um, 
But look, a call was made by Sam Purcell to to pack out Humphrey Coliseum tonight against a top ten opponent, and the fan base answered that call. And you know the the fact that this game it, look it was always going to have a big crowd, but I feel like it went from being probably would have been a decent crowd to being a sellout incredibly quickly, like kind of overnight. Um, yeah, that says a lot. And I won't lie if I don't think what happened up in Oxford influences that a little bit, uh, given some of the, some of the what's taking place with their women's program and the the, the fan support there. I I, I kind of feel like state fans wanted to make a little bit of a statement. Um, which, hey, you know, doesn't hurt. You got an incredible you see, atmosphere. You see their coach, their coach, and and I'm not knocking her. This is this is fantastic. I, I have to give her credit where credit is due. She said, I'm at Funky's. You show me a ticket to the game tonight or tomorrow or whenever it was, and I'll buy your first drink. And I was like, you know what? I'd buy a ticket to the game just, because, just for that. Yeah, if I was no. on this person. Uh, but that's look, the level of desperation they're at, though. Like, she's pleading, begging fans to come to the game. Mississippi State coach and players fire out a couple tweets, and the game sold out. That speaks a lot to our fan base. It was a successful marketing campaign by the team and Mark and Athletics, who also pushed all of that. But it all comes back back to us, to y'all that are listening. I'm, I'm sure there's some listeners that were at the game. I'm sure there's some listeners who would have been if they couldn't have uh, – absolutely could have been. That is, it comes back to the, to this fan base responding positively, doing what you're supposed to do as a fan base of some good sports teams. That show up and make, give your team the biggest advantage possible when another team has to come and play in your gym. I was going to say we're not going to make this a uh, dunk on Ole Miss show, but then, then there is the fact that we literally have to talk about Ole Miss men's basketball in a few minutes, which we're not going to dunk on them. They're they're a good team this year, but we're going to talk about the Rebels later. But I the, like the, I do think it is a point. People always say, like, well, we've seen a lot, like, if you win, people will show up no matter the sport. I do kind of think, like, there is something just, like, Ole Miss fans generally just don't care, which sucks. Because, and, like, I th- I know we all have our opinions uh, about Coach Yo. For women's basketball, yeah. I I, 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 I tweeted this earlier. I'll tell you what it is. They, there's a, look, at, I'll give you, here's your homework for tonight. Look up what cognitive dissonance means. It's a sociology and a psychology term. But this is what the Ole Miss fan base is experiencing. It's cognitive dissonance, if there they could be. Um, they spent years convincing themselves that women's basketball was a completely irrelevant sport. Number one, they still you still have the delusional Ole Miss fans, which is probably most of them, no offense, full offense, that think that all the recruiting stuff that started, that got them on probation and got Hugh Freeze fired, all, which that was all him. They still think all that stuff started with women's basketball and track. They still hold that against the program, number one. They think that that's true, that this bull, the almost cussed, that the BS that their reporters were feeding them and that they were lapping up like kittens lap up milk was true and that women's basketball strayed all of athletics off the path, number one. Number two, they got their teeth kicked in for, uh, for almost a decade. I think he graduated four or five senior classes that never lost to Ole Miss. Okay, so that first class has to go four years. That last class has to go four years. That's incredible. Um, we're, they never lost. We're making Final Fours, and they're not making NITs or NITs if they're lucky. Yeah, you're going to convince – you're going to devalue that sport. If you can't win – I'm, I'm good. Like, in softball, Mississippi State fans care about softball when we made that Super Regional. They didn't care – they haven't cared since because it kind of took a dip last year. 
I, I, it's understandable, but this huge gap between our, the two programs for those years, and plus the fact that they are they had the recruiting thing. Not to mention that nobody accused uh, old Southern white guys that root for Ole Miss of being the most tolerant. Uh, I'm not going to accuse anybody of being sexist, but that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm not saying the Mississippi State fans don't have sexist. Mississippi State doesn't have sexist fans, and Ole Miss doesn't. I do see a lot more sexist tweets from Ole Miss fans, and I don't even follow any uh, when it comes to women's basketball. But they convinced themselves for so long that that sport didn't matter because they were getting handled. And now that it is kind of relevant, it's really hard to turn that around. You've set that foundation, and they're going to be fighting from uh, basically we were, sta we're standing on third base when it comes to this thing, and they're still in the dugout trying to get equal with us because they have that whole background that puts women's basketball in a negative light. It's unfortunate. I don't – I'm not glad that that is happening. Yeah, no, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, look, they made message board geniuses literally because, like, you, you guys talking about, like, get rid of women's sports so we can put more money into the Grove Collective. Like, that's just what that university is right now. But tonight was a great night. I, I know we just did a lot of talking about – the Ole Miss fan base for Mississippi State podcast, hashtag obsessed. Um, but, like, hashtag referee. it is really good for State. Like, you you get this win on the back of, like, everything happening there. Because, um, like, obviously, Sam Purcell is an elite recruiter, not that he needs the help. And But, look, Coach Yo, she's done a pretty good job getting talent to Oxford that wasn't there previously. Um, this is a kind of a, one of those things, though, if you're Purcell, you can kind of point to, like, Look, she asked for her fans to come out, and they turned against her immediately. We asked for our fans to come out. They packed out the place, and we talked, took down top 10 LSU. We, we took down the defending national champions. Like, I this program about gets behind way, you're right. This program cares about this sport uh, compared to, you know, the rivals. So let's actually talk about the game and not just talk about the fan sport, but shout out to the fans for what they were able to do. Um, I mean – I mean, I kind of already hit on it. Miracle Shepherd to me with the effort she gave and like in so many key moments as well, at times where it felt like LSU maybe could have taken control of the game. She was the one making plays to give state an opportunity to get back into it. Um, Jacalia Jordan, just, I mean, anytime you needed a shot, she was knocking it down. Same can be said for Darian Rogers. Um, you know, it's weird that for, you know, she has a huge game. Um, you know, what was it, 20 points and like 17, 18 rebounds when you talk about uh, Angel Reese. But it's I still felt like State, especially early in the game, did a decent job of trying to guard her. Now, that changes a little bit with some of the foul calls, um, which, okay, yeah. I do want to say early in the game, with the way State was turning the ball over and LSU was just getting easy transition layups, I was like, this is about to be a long, long night. And But State goes on a run of their own didn't close out the first quarter well, didn't close out the first half well, but third quarter was absolutely dominant. It was like a 28 to 17 advantage for state. And mm -hmm. I mean, you just, you get your biggest and most best game of the year for a massive win. I know Colton, you have a lot of things you wanted to hit on. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Oh yeah. You, uh, you did a great job by the way, but <laughs> just your, your shot. Well, 52.6% from the field, almost the exact same percentage from three. So that was big. Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss, LSU could not buy a bucket from three. Your defense was really good. You know, Angel Reese has 20 and 18. Seven for 17 shooting there. That 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 uh, uh, elite center or power forward, whatever she is, I love 
I don't like to dunk on broadcasting, especially when it's two women broadcasters, because uh, that makes me sound sexist. But the the color uh, gal, I don't know either. I don't know any broadcasters today. not men or women, unless it's Dick Vitale. So don't get on to me for that. Um, she's like, Angel Reese was a wing in, in high school. And I'm like, are you sure? Because they're giving her the elbow jumper and even like two dribbles in from the elbow. <laughs> if it's not at the glass, they're giving it to her. Are you sure she played wing in high school? <laughs> um, but she, from a center, you should you should definitely be shooting over over 50%. They hold her to seven for 17. She did get her points. She did get her rebounds. A lot of those are, were offensive rebounds. But and Mississippi State gave up a lot of offensive rebounds overall, and that's LSU's strength. But a lot of those, if you watch the game, there's those volleyball rebounds where you, there. I think there's like three possessions where there was three or four rebounds to go. You know, re, miss shot, tip in, miss, tip in, miss, tip in, miss, corral the ball, pull it out. I mean, there's four offensive rebounds right there, and that happened a couple times. I think the the game plan defensively was great. They had uh, multiple players helping out on Reese, denying her the ball. They they once once uh, Angel got the ball, even with those fouls, they're trusting Jessica for the most part to wall up and and play defense, and she did really good. But they had multiple players involved in keeping the ball away from her, and she got most of her points from broken plays, transition and uh offensive rebounds they they had a lot of trouble getting her the ball in half court sets which is and running offense through her and at the end of the game they couldn't do it they had to run offense uh through this uh morrow girl who was six for 18 from the floor i mean and i'm gonna be honest i'll let you run offense through that player eddie if she's having an off night like that any night of the week she's an excellent player alexis morrow but wasn't her night and at the end of the game you're tr they're trying to exploit a matchup and force running force the offense through somebody who was cold. <clears throat> and so that was really big for Mississippi State, denying the ball in the half court to Angel Reese. And that gives you hope for oh, there's other elite centers in this league that you're gonna have to play against. I think uh they're done they're they're most of their tough games are behind them now. So you got some chance to stack some wins, but Jessica Carter, great defense, great team defense. I really thought that we, we don't talk enough about Ja'Kayla Jordan on this show, on any show, and certainly not in SEC media. My goodness. The Haley Van Litt, who I, who's a great player, gets more attention for averaging 11 points per game um, and really being, an, everybody will say, underwhelming, but it still talks about more than Ja'Kayla Jordan, who I believe had has had more 20-point games this year than not. I think she's had 12 or 10 or 11. I think this is her 10th or 11th, 13th. Uh, 20-point game this year, maybe, something like that. It's crazy. I really don't understand. I mean, I'll pull up her. I'll, I'll have her. I'll give you her averages right now because I know Haley Van Lith was averaging 11. Draquelia Jordan's averaging 17 with six rebounds and three assists. So, miss me with that stuff. She was fantastic. In the third, she could get any bucket that she wanted from all three levels. And she's quietly becoming right in that tier under, you know, Victoria Vivians and those kind of players. Uh you turn the ball over a lot tonight, but you forced a lot too. Those turnovers are probably the only thing that hurt you. If you didn't give up a lot of turnovers, you probably would have blown out LSU, which is absolutely crazy to think about. Um, those live ball turnovers were bad at first, but especially in the first quarter, they were very, very shaky. And, and you saw Lauren Park Lane, who didn't have her best game. If you're nitpicking, Lauren Park Lane and Aaron Barnum were okay. Everybody else was really, really good. But they, st they still played a role and still had a, their share in this win. But early, her and both, both her and Shepard were having some turnovers near the top of the key that you just can't happen. But they controlled those. They the rest of the turnovers when they did come weren't 
pick sixes, you know, for lack of a better term. We talked about how good Shepard was. Uh, six for nine from the field, four rebounds, five assists, six steals. She did have five five turnovers, but what we didn't talk about, I just talked about Haley Van Lip. Great player. Hasn't really found her stroke this year, but she's still a great player. One for six from the field, and that was all Miracle Shepard. Miracle Shepard had her in prison tonight. It was it was phenomenal to see. She could not buy a basket. Um, it was really, really impressive for a freshman against an upperclassman to do that, an upperclassman who transferred LSU to play point guard to be that floor general, that commanding type. It's not like she dotted them up with assists, either two assists. So really, I mean, you can't – Miracle Shepard, I had a, a thing in here to talk about, like her early legacy. She is on the pathway, if you can hold on to her and keep her healthy, she is on the pathway to be the next great Mississippi State women's basketball player. You, we – we talked about it a little bit with Deprecia Poe last year. I thought Deprecia Poe was really good in spurts, but could disappear sometimes. And she's kind of and, and now I think she's a solid starting role player. For you had six points tonight on two or four shooting. You'll take that from her. Um, Miracle Shepherd, her motor and her intensity and her upstairs mental game, I think, is going to make her separate her from most players. And that's not a knock on Deprecia Poe or anybody else. Miracle Shepherd's mentality is a little bit different to me. Her instincts, especially, are what set her apart from just about any other freshman I've seen this year play. So that was fantastic. You, your whole bench was fantastic. Darion Rogers was six for ten, four from eight from three. She she forced up a couple twos. First of all, she she took up some Achilles tendons tonight off the bounce, which is phenomenal. Um, but she forced up a couple twos that had no business going in that she just made because she's just a bucket. Some people have that knack to just put the ball in the hoop from no matter where they're at. They have good balance. They have good depth perception. That's her huge. And when, when the shot needed to go down, if it was a clutch moment, she was going to hit it. The ones that she missed, it wasn't like it, it, those are kind of just bonus. But when, when LSU kind of made that run in the fourth to cut it to three, she hit that shot and the game was over after that. It became a free throw shooting contest. And that was all her. You could see it in Kim Mulkey's face uh, when they cut to her on the sideline after that timeout. She knew that we were going to have to miss a ton of free throws for them to win this game. And of course we didn't. And we won. That was phenomenal. Um, even when Goni uh, and Montague uh, got into the game, they played well. They didn't, they had to, they were kind of forced into action just a couple minutes, like seven minutes combined between the two. So very few, but they had to guard miracle. Uh, excuse me. Angel Reese did so fine. Uh, Montague got, hosed on a couple foul calls. Those were almost worse than the ones on Jessica Carter. They had a straight clean block that, on Angel Reese that they called a foul because she's Angel Reese. So she's getting the Asia Wilson, the Leah Boston treatment, the anti-Tierra McCowan treatment. And when they were called on, they stepped up. Opposite of what happened at Florida. You almost pissed away the game at Florida because your bench kind of couldn't do anything for you. Uh, the only bench player that really didn't do anything was, you know, Brown Hager played two minutes, did not record a stat. And I have not been high on her play in SEC play, but the rest of your bench was really, really fantastic. And then Jessica Carter, we can talk about the same thing with the men. You got a huge night from her defensively without the production on offense, and you still won. You proved that you don't have to, to win games, run offense through the block if you can't. Because there will be teams like LSU who can take away the paint, the deep, at least the deep paint, you know, I'm not saying that you're, you're not going to win a ton of games, not scoring at all inside, but those deep paint touches weren't there. She was one for six on the floor. 
in foul trouble. That really wasn't her fault. It was poorly officiated in the first half. But she battled through it, played a great defensive game, and you won because your bench stepped up, even though Jessica Carter couldn't get her points. Um, somebody else on uh, was saying that, you know, if Jessica Carter doesn't score 20, Mississippi State can't win. And the evidence before this game bore that out. With Jessica Carter's four points tonight, that has been that been thoroughly put to bed. You know, you beat LSU with that stat line. I, we talked about last week how the bench had to step up, and I would have told you that Drakelia Jordan's success might be more important, who's obviously a starter, but that combined with more bench production, you don't have to have that from Jessica Carter. And that was proven tonight. I, of course, that wasn't our – we didn't explicitly state, you know, Jessica Carter can play bad. She didn't play bad, but she can play bad if the bench is good. But we didn't say I, – I have thought for a long time that getting more production off the first three girls off the bench, getting – you know, if you get 20, 20-ish points from Jaquelia Jordan, Jessica Carter can be a defensive stopper, uh, somebody called to make a bucket when necessary, but not somebody you have to run offense through. She's not – Great player. Jessica Carter is one of the going to be one of the best to ever wear maroon and white. She's not somebody you run offense through like Tierra McCowan. Okay. She's not somebody who, if she's got the ball under the basket, it's going through the hoop or she's going to the line if the game's officiated correctly every single time. She's not a person who is going to get every rebound if if you gotta you gotta send three or four girls to block her out and then your guards pick up a bunch of rebounds. You have to game plan around like Tierra McCowan. And she doesn't have to be. Okay, but I'll tell you what she can do. She can lock up your best center. And Angel Reese had some offensive rebounds put back. She had some tough buckets. She got a lot, she ate a lot in transition and she got a lot of points when you had to switch Jessica Carter off because of some ticky tack fouls. But Jessica Carter absolutely held her own defensively against Angel Reese tonight. And so all the credit in the world for that. I really like uh they said on the broadcast that the team went to watch the LSU South Carolina game. I think that just shows you the kind of camaraderie with this team and lord knows if you were in the know about the team leading up to covid during covid after covid that hasn't always been the case uh i think that the team everybody respects each other the the mentality is a lot better you had some games last year even where you would get kind of down in the dumps you did have some roster issues with with depth and and you had you were playing tired but there'd be some games where the effort wasn't there there was games two years ago three years ago for sure uh and i know doug novak did a great job but where the effort wasn't there like you liked it to be. All out intensity tonight. The team has has the camaraderie. They have the chemistry. And now with the easier part of the schedule in front of them, they don't need to get a, have a letdown game at Kentucky. That's all we'll say about that. I apologize for the schedule they mixed up on the last show. Uh, I over. I was. I heard completely wrong. I thought this week was our break. You know, women's basketball they have the break weeks. You get. They play two less games. The tournaments, the conference tournament starts a little bit earlier, but you do have one week in SEC schedule where you don't have a, two games a week. I thought that was this week for us, and apparently that was not true. So I apologize for that. But the easier part of the schedule is the rest of the season. You've got tough games against A&M and Ole Miss down the stretch, but every other game is very, very winnable, and those games are not unwinnable by any stretch, especially after what you've done now. So both teams are in really, really good shape. The women really cemented their position tonight, though, to be a solid tournament team. Yeah, an absolutely fantastic win. And, like, a few closing points. And you, These are kind of things you touched on, but I, I should have said this earlier. But, like, when, I, when, I, when you look at the box score, LSU versus Auburn, like, and, and how Auburn's able to get that win, 
Like the biggest thing that stood out, like LSU just didn't shoot the ball well. But where LSU is going to have an advantage over most teams in the rebounding and what they're able to do there, Auburn like was able to keep it close. LSU won the rebounding, but Auburn kept it close. It was the same thing here. Like LSU gets the rebounding advantage 35 to 33. Now, like you said, they dominated the offensive boards, but also so many of that, so many of those were like the volleyball type plays where it's really not so much winning on the boards as it is that they're just getting a bunch of looks and racking up offensive rebounds that aren't really resulting in points. Um, still like that credit to Jessica Carter for me, uh, you know, despite not having a big game offensively, having some success uh, down there. And yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned if not for the turnovers, like this game state dominates like on a, just on normal possessions, like state completely played a much better game. Like LSU did not shoot the ball well in this game. I mean, they 47 or 45% overall fine, but like they were terrible from three which that's part of, like, they're not a team that shoots a lot of threes, but, like, they had no perimeter offense in this game whatsoever. And, like, a lot of what they did, it was just – Yeah, it it was all points in the paint. It was a lot of those volleyball-type plays that you talked about. Like, if not for the turnovers and not for just some of the second-chance opportunities, you're right, State runs them off the floor. And and half-court first – in first half-court possessions, I'm sure that you can do an advanced stat somewhere. As a not an offensive rebound and not transition – you, if if you just played fifty possessions like that, Mississippi State probably won forty of them. That yeah, that, that's literally how that this game played out. So remarkable game, um, huge for Sam Purcell's program. Like you talked about, you got to go uh, on the road to Kentucky. That's all time letdown potential for you know a Kentucky team that is terrible, but has beaten an Arkansas team that's pretty good. They beat Missouri. Um, I, I know Missouri's State's had good. some. States had some rough trips to Lexington uh, on the women, obviously on the men's side, but on the women's side uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they can, they can bounce back and just, I say bounce back. If they can stay steady and not avoid a letdown and avoid a letdown there, you're putting yourself in really, really good position. I know I haven't checked the latest bracketology, but I know state had kind of been in that, and I'm sure they've moved up since, but like they were, you know, one of the last teams in the field, which is a it was a very weird projection where they had been seen as like a nine seed and then they got reevaluated down to being like the last team in, which was maybe an okay like representation, but it was still very weird to see how that changed. Obviously, at this point, this team's very safely in the NCAA tournament as of now. Um, you just hope they don't do anything uh to turn it in the next game. This was the second straight top 10 win, though, that Humphrey Coliseum got to see because the men's team, which, I mean, I thought that would be what we'd be leading off the show with. Because, I mean, frankly, I didn't think women were going to beat LSU. Um, what a game. Taking down the Auburn Tigers. State gets the win, 64-58. Uh, to 58. Just an old-school Christian basketball game. Absolute slugfest in the first half. Tied 21 apiece. Um, we, I talked about in the last show that defensively like I could I look I can't tell you what's what the issue is but it just is not as good well you got the defense back in this game they took it to Auburn um the Tigers shoot uh 34 percent from the field just 25 percent from behind the arc um Auburn really just could not get anything going in this game I mean look Jani Broom and Jalen Williams those are sort of their two consistent scores there in the post and that's kind of what they run through both those guys in double figures but I mean, three of eleven shooting for Williams. Broom had a had a pretty good day, you know, five of seven shooting, fourteen points. Um, 
to go along with seven boards, but I didn't feel like he dominated. I felt like Tolu Smith did a good job holding his own against him. Um, just it, like elsewhere, though, State just got fantastic defense from from everyone else on the court, and we were able to really limit what Auburn was able to do. Now, second half scoring picks up a little bit, but it was still a very competitive back and forth type game. Um, first game with Josh Hubbard starting, and he does what Josh Hubbard has done all year: seventeen points for him on seven of sixteen shooting. Three of nine from three, but that includes a huge three late in the game that, in a way, a little bit reminiscent of what we saw from Darian Rodgers tonight against LSU. Of a, I think it was literally on the same spot on the court. Uh, a crucial opposite three. Side, opposite corners. No, they're both, I think they're both in the corner, but they're but Darian's was in the far corner and Josh's was in the near corner. No, I'm thinking of. Uh, Okay, yeah, no, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the shot she took that uh, they they called off. That, that's what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, they it, well, it wasn't counted. Yeah, that's why because like the, the last time you see her take one, um, but I mean he he is a fantastic game. Um, Cam Matthews though, my goodness, fourteen points, eleven rebounds for him, six of nine shooting. Cam is obviously one of those guys that he gets talked about as sort of the workhorse and sort of like the, the straw that stirs the drink, right? Where he's not going to put have a huge day statistically, but he's just going to grind it out and make the plays that lead to everybody else having success. Tolu Smith didn't have a huge game. You know, we alluded to that earlier, nine points, eight rebounds for him. And I, I didn't think Tolu had a bad game. He didn't – the production did not go through him. Janai Broom did a very good job defending, but I also think Auburn game planned and said we're going to force other guys to step up which frankly is a very good game plan against Mississippi State because you haven't consistently seen, I know Josh Hubbard, but haven't consistently seen anyone else be that scoring threat um, in, in the post. Well, Cam Matthews showed out today. And like part of that, like I'm going back to Tolu Smith. He led, leads the team with three assists in this game. Like I thought Tolu played a really good game. He just didn't have the, the scoring because Auburn said we're going to take that away. And it's like, all right, fine. We'll give it to somebody else. Shaq Moore, bet probably one of the better games of the season for him. With gets into double figures, um, and, and you know you you look elsewhere, no one else really jumps off. I did think Sean Jones provided good minutes off the bench. He's someone we haven't talked a lot about this year. Where last year he was a bit of a, a just a good spark for State at times. Where you know he when he started to ride State, Sean Jones Jr. has the best layup package on the team. Yeah, I mean I've. I've I don't. He only went two of seven shooting, but I still felt like he provided good minutes for State in this game, um, and, and was able to perform really well. Just State played a really good game on the defensive side of the ball, but the big thing that was a key here, I mentioned in the preview, Auburn had one very clear weakness, like one thing that has been a consistent problem. They are a, they are terrible about allowing offensive rebounds. For for they're a pretty good rebounding team overall. But when it comes to offensive boards, they give up a lot of them. State dominated. State dominates overall rebounding 45 to 30. But State has an advantage on the offensive boards. Uh, I forget. When you have it in half screen, it doesn't, it doesn't show show it to you. 14, 14 to 6. Offensive rebound. And a 12 to 3 second champ points advantage for Mississippi State. Like, there's kind of your difference in the game. Uh, now, State shoots the ball better overall. They shoot 44%. Only twenty four percent from three, um, but like that, like State was able to dominate the glass. And again, when, when this team is playing elite defense, and the like Auburn's other issue was like 
they've been a, a decent three-point shooting team, but when they faced good defenses, defenses have been able to take that away. State took it away. Like, they did not have a good day from three. Like, we got the defense we've expected. We got the rebounding we expected. Now, free throws were still a problem. State uh, started the day 0 of 5, and they, but they ended up finishing 9 of 18. They made the free throws when they had to. And one of the misses ended up being worth it because Cam Matthews gets his own rebound and just lays it right back in. So, again, you'll take that every single time. Two is better than one. Um, Angel Reeves did that tonight, too, and I was like, great. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to bite us on that one. Yeah. But it worked out. Just a, a complete game all around. And this is now a second top ten win at home. It is another win against a team that was in – well, I believe was in the top 10 of the net and is still in the top 10 of the net as number. They're currently number nine state right now. Uh, they sit at 36 in the net, 32 Ken Palm, uh, their strength of record improved quite a bit by getting this game um, about a 15 spot improvement um, in overall strength of record. You now have three quad one wins of the season. Still only have the one bad loss. Georgia Tech, though, is hanging on by a thread. Georgia Tech is at 134. They got to stay one top, top 135 to not become a quad three loss. Uh, so cheer for the Yellow Jackets. But the Washington State win has gotten better. Um, the Tennessee win has only gotten better. Balls are up to number three in the net. Like, State's putting together a resume. And every time it feels like we're just, th- this team is just, oh, it's not that good. You got to remember, it's life going on the road in the SEC. And, like, we're seeing that now. Humphrey Coliseum has become this uh, – the entire – I was about to say Humphrey Coliseum has become an incredibly difficult place to play. The entire SEC, it's just tough to go on the road and win games. And mm-hmm. State – Whole country. Yeah, like, State can beat anybody when they're playing in Starkville. And you were able to see that in this game. You you had it. We talked about it earlier. You had a great atmosphere. You get the type of performance you expected. And if State can play that way in Starkville consistently – they're going to be capable of winning some more big games down the stretch. So, I mean, Colton, like, what are your – obviously a massive, massive win for the program and massive win for this season when you talk about trying to solidify a tournament spot. Just what what are your takeaways from the win over Auburn? I, I don't like to overstate things, and maybe I do that all the time, even though I say I don't like to. I don't think this week, this weekend, we'll say – we'll call the long weekend – could have gone better for Mississippi State because not only did you win, you won it doing things a little bit differently than most would have thought you had to to get the wins. If you came to somebody in either game and said neither of your centers for either team was going to have double-digit points, what do you think is going to happen? Everybody would have said, oh, yeah, two losses, 0-2. Oh no way. And instead, we already talked about with the women, Tolu did not play poorly, but when they took Tolu away, they still lost. A, that all starts on the defensive end for Mississippi State. It's easy to lose some games when you don't even shoot. I mean, what was it, like 44% from the field? No, God, that was the women. That was LSU. 34% from the field was Auburn. You're not going to win a lot of games shooting that way. Mississippi State was had the whole team in prison, okay? number one but you have not only shown yourself you've not only shown the fan base you've shown other teams okay take away to you can sell out to stop totally with your own peril but cam matthews can still score the buck at the rim 
Josh Hubbard can still score from anywhere on the floor, and the other ones can do enough to keep you in the game. Okay, you can't just take away Tolu and call it a night. Game over. We win. All right, that was phenomenal for Mississippi State. A for their psyche and their confidence because they know that too. They're like, okay, Tolu A knows what to do when he's getting double teamed or when the balls he's not in a position that he needs to go get a bucket. He knows how to move the ball, get it, get it in position for other guys to score, have those assists. And number two, now you know that you can win that way. Now you now other teams have to game plan that way. And it, again, there's another positive vicious cycle. Okay, the next Ole Miss, they're watching film from Auburn. Hmm. We might need to dedicate a little bit of extra defensive effort to A, B, and C, not named Tolu Smith. Well, guess what? Now Tolu Smith is in single is not being double teamed again, and he's going to work under the basket like he normally does. So you've just you've I think you've bought yourself a lot of wiggle room, not only in your tournament seating, not only uh just in your resumes from a standpoint of if you make the tournament. Not only a lot of wiggle room in the hearts of the fan base, because like you said, the fan base has shown up twice now and been rewarded on both teams. But both teams, you've bought yourself some room to operate for your bigs and for the rest of the team to show that you can be diverse. You're not a one-trick pony. You're not a one-man show. Okay, obviously it's been a little bit of a two-man show. But if if uh, Cam Matthews can have games like that the rest of the year – not an absurd stat line from him in terms of you're surprised he got 14. He's he's what's he averaging around like seven or eight? I'm clicking on him now to see if it'll pull up. Let's see if I hit it just right. He's averaging six, no, 9.3 points per game. So I've hit I undersold him a little bit. You get nine, ten from Cam Matthews, you get, you know, six to ten from DJ Jeffries, who also not shooting-wise, but in everything else, had a phenomenal game for Mississippi State, really settling into his role as a position player, a role player that can get you what you need with or without the points. Really like that from DJ. But if you got these contributions from these other guys, uh, Shaq Moore, of course, obviously, um, as I get back to my box score here, obviously Josh Hubbard, Trey Fort, who may be questionable for tomorrow as, you, as we record, Sean Jones, Jimmy Bell, uh, Deshaun Davis, who's the much maligned Deshaun Davis, who only played 18 minutes, but I don't think – didn't record a lot of stats, but I don't think he did bad. Um, those guys, if if you just get a handful of points from them, and Tolu might can carry you, but they can do enough to win you games too, and I think that's huge. Yeah, and I, I think you, you're, you're, your point about, like, Tolu having that game and State still being able to win, like, that doesn't happen last year. I think – even like all things considered, if like if if Cam Matthews does pick up some of the uh, pick up some of the slack, like State does not win the game last year though. Like you, we do have to talk a little like Josh Hubbard. Like you had to make a change. You just talked about Deshaun Davis. Like it, it eventually had to happen. I get there was value in having a guy coming off the bench, and look, he was basically playing starter minutes. He was playing more than starter minutes as it was. It doesn't really matter, but like. You you couldn't have your starting five be out there, and you feel like okay on a game by game basis we have one guy that we trust to score, being totally. You had to have somebody and, within that starting group. And I'm, I was a big proponent early of Josh Hubbard coming off the bench, but you and Daniel I think framed it nice, a show or two back. You can't just what you just said. You can't have an entire defense collapse on one guy out of your starting five because you're starting. I mean. That's just not going to work. And you really 
having only two is difficult as well. You did it last year with just the one, but you don't have Andrew Taylor. Keyshawn Murphy is is working. You know, we'll see where that goes. But those are guys that can get buckets for you. Guys you had to at least respect from outside. You didn't have anybody that you could respect outside last year. And then this year is the same thing when the starters are in. There's just no – I hate it for Deshaun Davis because he's a great player, and I hope that he can come back. And I really do think that he's got to be able, whether it's off the bench or not, get his mind right and, and come and give you some quality minutes down the stretch. But you're not going to win a lot of games when your whole game – I mean, I, I want you all to think back. I'll just go ahead and talk about when I played in high school. Teams with one superstar, I could think of one time when this one guy would just beat us. And we actually would have a good game plan, and then we would choke. He, he was the one team – it was the one team that was in our heads. But nobody – we did not ever let somebody with one star beat us. You you cannot beat us by yourself. Nobody. And and it's very, very hard to beat somebody by yourself, especially in today's game, a center who can't stretch the floor. Tolu's not going to knock down anything from outside the, the, the free throw line. He's really not going to score if he's not under the basket. He cannot win the game for you by themselves most days. He can't against – He did hit a mid-range you know, in this one. <laughs> like, I think it was in the first half, I missed it. I, I think it was I think it was second half. Like I think he was scoreless or he only had like two points. And that like literally as they were talking about Tolu not doing anything, it was it was a, I think it was to avoid a shot clock violation. They they just kick it out to Tolu because he's the only guy and he just like where like it it was basically a free throw stroke and just drained it. It was beautiful to see. Right. Um that you just he's not gonna do that a lot. No, <laughs> he's not. You're in today's game especially just with how much the way it's officiated, how much defense this can throw at you. One dude is not going – in college basketball, one dude is very seldom going to take over a game for this back to the basket. You know, the one guy I saw that could kind of do that the last three or four years, back to the basket posters, there's not a lot of them. Drew Timmy at Gonzaga comes to mind, but obviously he had a star-studded cast around him. Yeah, no, knows they, they still have plenty of dudes. Yeah, so who – I mean, I, I think if you had put him in another system, he could have done similar things, but – I mean, not not the 25, 30 points a game he used to get, but that was a guy back to the basket form was almost perfect, and he might could have done something. That's I just you just don't see that college basketball. If y'all hear background noise, my cat is going crazy, and it's in another room, but I can't stop it. You can only hope to contain it. You 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 kind of touched on it with uh, you know. Andrew Taylor, Keyshawn Murphy. We did get it confirmed today. Andrew Taylor officially done with the program. It sucks. I hope whatever he's going through, you know, gets worked out. Now, I mean, from an MSU perspective, not to diminish whatever he's dealing with. Like, obviously, like that, it does suck that a guy I know you committed a lot of NIL money to. And you clearly put your eggs in the basket of, like, he's going to be the guy that comes in and is going to be the big-time scorer for you. Um which really, like, it was three guys you were you added this year to to address the offense, which is why, like I, I think I said it last week. I can't really get mad about Christian's about the offense performance at this point because you've got a player a roster full of fifth year players, and ultimately at that point you just are what you are. You cannot expect any of those other guys to get better. You bring in Andrew Taylor, who's a twenty point per game scorer. You bring in the greatest shooter in Mississippi high school basketball history, and then you add Trey Fort, who's a really good shooter at the JUCO ranks. Like you clearly like. You had a, a a college transfer, a D1 transfer. You had a JUCO transfer, and you had a true freshman who were like, they score the basketball. And you're like, if we can get two of those guys like to, to pan out, we're going to be really good. Right now you're getting one. 
which is where the other part of that report, though, is that Keyshawn Murphy working to get his way back. And I think that would be massive. Like this game, the way this game played out, literally, like this was last year's team plus one guy who could shoot is, is what you saw. Yeah. Now, again, it played out a little bit differently in that Tolu wasn't the one getting the production. And I was trying to do the math in my head, like how does State win this game last year? Like if Tolu doesn't score like that, I guess you were like, you mentioned Deshaun Davis. Like he was last year a little, like he was never going to be like, a, he wasn't a double digit scorer, but he was still consistently getting you like seven, eight, nine points. And was like, and Shaq Moore had some 20 point games last year. Towards Shaq the the Moore season. had bigger performances than he did. So like those guys like would have stepped up a little bit more and it probably evens out a little bit, but like, this year, you're you're getting what you are out of Tolu. For the most part, the guys that are the returnees are sort of are what they are. You've added Josh Hubbard, though. You've added that one guy who can stress defenses in the perimeter and can really just – it doesn't matter where he is in the court. He can find a way to knock it down. Um, but, like, we, we've talked about the big thing that was hurting you is when Cam Matthews is off the court, you don't have anybody who's a suitable replacement. Now, against Florida, you played around with having Jimmy Bell and Tolu on the court at the same time. Um and like I mentioned on the last episode, I stupidly did not take any mental notes of how State performed when those two were together. <laughs> like I, it was, it was. I watched the game all start to finish, and at no point did I, uh, like take anything in. Like, like that's a clear great thing that clearly should have been something I done. So that's you know me doing a horrible job. I, I think that's a that's a rebounding move. I, I don't think there's anything that you can add to that. <laughs> neither neither guy. Like one, they can't both be under the basket, and if one of them is not under the basket, that that one it will not be scoring. Well, so, no, it's not scoring, but I mean, it's, it's just saw- for rebounding. And maybe there's two. If, if there's a weird defensive matchup that you want to do that with, it can make sense. But I wouldn't. I don't think it's going to help you scoring wise. It, it's rebounding and a little bit of defense because you saw how bad it was in the previous games when Matthews was off the court and Jaquan Scott came in. You just you had. You, you just didn't have anything there. Um, if you – all this to say, and I know I talked about this in the last show, if you can get Keyshawn Murphy back, that would be absolutely massive just to give you another option there. Um, but at which point you were literally saying, okay, it's last year's team plus a shooter. And last year's team plus a shooter is you know, potentially could have been a second week in Demon the Tournament. Now – I'm not going to put those expectations on this team. You you never know. Um, and obviously, to an extent, it is a little disappointing because I think we all thought this team would be better offensively than they are. But unforeseen circumstances, right? What's happened with Andrew Taylor, You just it is what it is. The issue going into last, with at least recapping last week with the Florida game, was it's like, okay, sure, like you, the offense is what it is, but the defense is not playing well. You you fix that now. Are they going to put it consecutive performances back to back? We'll see. It's going to be really tough to go up to Oxford and win. That's a really good offensive team. We're obviously we're about to talk about the Rebels and in, in, in preview in that matchup. Um, just I mean, and you got two really tough matchups coming up now with Ole Miss and then at Alabama. And look, it's ridiculously tough to go play on the road. We've already talked about that. I think I said this after the game. It's all the more reason whatever happens in these upcoming games, you can't flip out. Obviously, State really needs to find a way to get one of these next two. If you get one of these next two, you're right on track. If you lose them both, it's not into the world. Please do not jump off the bandwagon. 
But yeah, if you lose them both, you're putting yourself in a spot where you're going to have to grind a little bit to get back into it. Now, miracle happens and you win both of them, all of a sudden it's a very different conversation in, in, in the positive. But if you can find a way to get one of these next two, that'll be huge. And look, that's kind of like the last big thing for State from a resume standpoint. It, it's a road win. You need to get a road win, ideally a quality you're, you're winless on the road. That's one of those little key components that has kept teams out before who otherwise had bubble resumes that you'd look at and feel decent about. You got two big opportunities upcoming here. So, I mean, let's go ahead and get into that, talking about the Rebels. Chris Beard, for all the things you want to say about him, and he deserves a lot of it, uh, he's doing a good job. The guy, like, you cannot deny that the guy's a good coach, and he's stepped into Ole Miss right away and has been very successful. The Rebels are 17-3, 4-3 so far on the season. Now, the metrics don't love them. They're 56th in the net, uh, 64th in Ken Palm. Uh, 69th, nice, in BPI. This is not a team that metrics are, like, blown away with, and a lot of that goes back to the, the schedule they've played thus far. Um, 103rd ranked uh, strength of schedule, 326, the non-conference schedule. They just – they didn't play a lot of great teams. Kind of the, the high-profile game they've had in the non-conference was their win over Memphis. Well, that win is getting worse and worse by the week. Um, you know – They've and they've played a relatively soft SEC slate to this point. Tennessee and Auburn in there on the road, very difficult. But other than that, you got Vanderbilt, you have Arkansas. LSU is good, not great, but that's still only a team that's ninety four in the net. Um, there is, I'm not going to call Ole Miss a complete paper tiger because at the end of the day, winning games is all that matters. But they're certainly not living up quite to uh, the the overall record that they have. I mean, again, like I said, they're sixty four in Ken Palm. 46th offensively really good, 103rd on defense. Where this really shows, though, Ken Palm does a luck rating, which is essentially just saying how lucky they view a team. Ole Miss is second in the country in luck, according to Ken Palm. Uh, Mississippi State, for those who are curious, is uh, 272. So the Bulldogs actually have a negative luck rating. Um, so Ken Palm, frankly, thinks that we, we have been un, we've been unlucky to this point of the season. And look, because of that, like Ole Miss is a tough team for a lot of like they're six and zero in games decided by three points or less. And Rocco Miller, who's a bracketologist that I I like a lot, he made a really good point. Um, after their win against Texas A and M on the road, if you don't deliver a knockout blow to the Rebels early, they're going to find a way to win, which is going to be huge for State. Um, but it, like this is a team that's tough for bracketologists to figure out. Like they're an eleven seed in bracket matrix, as uh, one of the last teams kind of in the field. I've seen some people have them as high as a seven though, where it's like. On the like their strength of record is top ten in the country. They're they're ninth in strength of record because I mean seventeen to three is just really impressive. It doesn't matter who you've played. It's just that everything else says this is not that good of a team. Um, you know they're two and two against quad one, two and one against quad two, undefeated against the other quadrants. They played thirteen games against quads three and four. Like just a bunch of their schedule has been easy to this point. Um. That said, they are still a pretty good team. Um, offensively in SEC play, they've been scoring 74.7 points per game, shooting 48%. Uh, good three-point shooting team, 35% from behind the arc. Defensively, though, have some deficiencies. They're giving up 74.4 points per game, allowing teams to shoot 49% and 34% from three. So, again, they've it, – it's weird because they haven't really – they've only played, like, one close conference game. The other ones – they no, they, they played two. The LSU game was close as well. 
but the other five league games they played have been blowouts one way or the other. They got blown out against Auburn and Tennessee. They blew out Florida and Arkansas. Uh, so, you know, a, very, a team that, again, it, it's kind of hard to decipher all that much. Uh, they do a good job getting steals. They are incredible at getting blocked shots. They have two players in the post uh, who just are kind of block machines between uh, Musa Cisse and Jamarian Sharp. Sharp is a seven-foot-four player. Um, he's averaging three blocks a game. Now, that's like all those two guys do. They combine are averaging for like 8.2 points per game and 10 rebounds a game in SEC play. So they're combining for less than a double-double, but they're really good at getting blocks. So, like, that's kind of why they're out there on the court. Now, elsewhere, they do have guys who can score. Um, four of the five starters are average double have been averaging double figures in league play. Um, Matthew Morell, I was looking at the wrong thing. There we go. Matthew Morell averaging 15.7 points a game. Uh, Jalen Murray with 14.7. Jamin Brakefield at forward, 14.3 to go along with uh, 3.9 rebounds. Alan Flanagan, the Auburn transfer, 13.4 for him. Uh, Morell and Murray, both really good shooters. Brakefield actually for a, you know a forward and like a six foot eight dude, he's a pretty good shooter as well. Can definitely knock it down from beyond the arc. Flanagan's not had a good shooting season. Uh, his sort of thing, though, is that he does a good job of getting to the free throw line, and he's 90% from the line. So if you give him those looks, he's going to make it. Um, Brandon Murray's the only other bench player who plays quite – is real, really the only bench player that plays quite a bit, giving them 5.4 a game. And then, like I said, it's rotating between Cissé and Sharp at, at the five, who not really scores, but they will get blocked shots. And I know Colton talked about this when we previewed the Florida game. They got 19 blocks against Florida. Like, just absolutely ridiculous that they were able to do that. Um, really good three-point shooting team, like I mentioned, but they're not a team that takes a ton of them. It's just when they do take them, they're going to make it. Uh, Morell's a 35% three-point shooter. Murray's from uh, 44%. 39% for Brakefield. Uh, Brandon Murray doesn't take a ton of threes, but he's 40% from three. So, like they're selected with their three point shooting. They do take a lot more mid range than you see from a lot of teams these days. Um, but I mean, look, they're just a very good scoring team. Now they're not great rebounding and they give up a lot of offensive boards. So these are, you know, we talked about Florida. Florida was one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Florida was one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the country and state had the advantage down low. Auburn, we mentioned they had a deficiency in giving up offensive rebounds. And that's kind of where state won the game. State has no reason to not have a big advantage in that category against the Rebels. Like, you need to dominate down low. Tolu Smith has to have a huge game. Like, this is a game Tolu Smith almost certainly has to have a huge game. I know we just talked about how we saw that State can win even if Tolu's not having a huge day. This is one I expect him to show out. And, again, like, oh, those looks going to be contested for sure. But it's almost like – it's weird. Like, the teams that have given them the most problems are teams that have big-time bigs. Jonas Adu at Tennessee had a huge game. Uh, uh, why did I forget his name? The guy for Auburn. Uh, Jani Broom. Broom? Yeah, Broom. And uh, their other – their four had a big game as well. Our Williams, I think, is his last name. I, we literally just talked about Auburn. I shouldn't forget their names. Um, both those guys had big games against, against Ole Miss. And, look, again, like, Ole Miss does contest stuff, but it's more like they just go for the block. Like they try to get the block, and otherwise, like you've got a good chance of making it, and you got a great chance of getting an offensive board and getting the second chance points. 
Like that is the place and for state. I want to give a little bit of, I, just, I was going to say this, but it just plays to your point so well. Tolu Smith, just talking about X's and O's, his ability, some of the things I really love about Tolu Smith, number one is quick spin game, very, very difficult to defend. His ability to use the rim as protection and use the net as protection from blocks, his head fake, his his creativity around the rim, that's huge. And then also, so for shot blockers, that's that's a good way to draw a foul. So he's going to have to make some free throws in this game, okay? If people, they're going up and try to block that every single time and you're shielding the ball with the rim, guess what? The, guess what? They're going to hit your face. You're going to go to the line. Uh, that might be a strategy for Ole Miss, so we'll have to see. And then another, talking about shot blocking matchup, not calling this as it's like a crucial point of the game, but I'm interested to see, and it could be, the way Jimmy Bell matches up against Sharp. Jimmy Bell is a, no joke, is an offensive NFL offensive tackle prospect. Okay, he's that wide. Sharp is seven foot four. He's he is uh, Bell is giving up six inches to Sharp, but Sharp probably weighs less than I do, and I'm six foot four. Bell might be able to just bury that dude in the post and score some buckets that way. We'll have to see. I'd like to I'd like, huh? Sharp is seven five, two twenty-five. I'm two forty, so I was correct. <laughs> that is I I I could push him over my I, I could I like obviously I'm not tall enough, I would never get a shot off, but I could bury him in the paint. I would get the ball. I wouldn't be able to score once I got it, but I could easily get the ball and take it, take the shot from wherever on the court I wanted against him. That's crazy. I mean, he's the big, he's the heaviest guy I'm on the team. Blow, I'm not trying to blow my own horn. That is kind of what I do when I play anyway. Is I use my body, so it's not like I'm some scrub that I'm. Oh, I'm going to root him out and and knock him over. Like no, like he would still swap the crap out of the ball if I didn't shoot. But no, look, they they have. Like they have the length with 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 those guys, but like in terms of like the actual mass, State's got the advantage there. So you bully them a little bit. Like that's what you have to try to. And again, like they've done a great job blocking shots against everybody. And I know I said like like Auburn and, and Tennessee were able to have an advantage in the post against them. It's not like they were just getting everything they wanted. Like th- those guys, and and I, we kind of touched on this earlier with Tolu, where Tolu is not as good in terms of like pulling up and shooting away from the basket, even a few feet away. Like, he's going to try to get under under the rim and get the layup. I would say Adu and Broom are a little bit better at that, and those were some of the looks that they were knocking down. Um, and, look, this is an Ole Miss team that's going to try to invite them. They're going to try to invite the mid-range shot a little bit. I mean, teams have been good from three against them as well. Like, defensively, they've just not been all that good. So, I like, I think Hubbard, I know Chris Chan's made the point, he's probably not going to get a very warm welcome uh, for this one, but like at this point, it, I guess we, we that was I was gonna say point. at this point, you have to expect he's just he's locked in. He, he did have a rough game at Kentucky, but you have to expect like no moment is too big for him. This one will be interesting to watch because obviously this is the school he signed, right? And it, like this is the first time the atmosphere, I think, like he's probably gonna be the guy, like the students, every student section, like there's the one player that everybody just boots. Probably going to be him. Like every time he gets the ball, he's that's so it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. But I, I think he's built for that. I, I, there's a two psychology lessons in one thing. Um, if you take her Skadden, he uses the example of Notre Dame way back in the day. I don't know who it was, but they came in here for a regional back when it was just super regionals were like region. Anyway, he came in here and lit it up 
because everybody was chanting overrated and stuff when he when he was up at the plate and newsflash this is a psychological fact if you're good at something people getting in your face about it and stuff will make you better if you're bad it will make you worse typically obviously that doesn't always hold true that's just the the percentages and having the mental makeup that Josh Hubbard has I think will help him in that regard but before you go booing you know if you saw every time Kobe Bryant got booed he kind of made everybody shut up that it may it helps you you're if you're good at something it's going to help you typically in psych in average wise law of averages there I mean I see I, see I think going to be I think Josh is going to handle that well. Uh, the thing at, at Rupp, you know, that's a tough place to play no matter what Mississippi State has been. And I'm not saying that – I'm not guaranteeing that he's going to play well, but the kind of mental guy that he is, the hard worker that he is, I think that that's going to only help him. Well, and, and to be fair, I also think he just had a cold night shooting. Like, I don't even know if that was one of those games where it was like the atmosphere getting to him. But he, had, he wasn't shy. I think he took like – he was like one of 11 shooting in the game. So it's not like he had no issues taking shots. He they just weren't falling for him. Um, I mean, you'll look, those guys will have opportunities against Ole Miss. And look, I think they, like I said, they like to invite the mid range a little bit like States. I think Hubbard has shown you he's fully capable of doing that. Shaq Moore, I think is actually pretty good in that department. Um, you, you can, you yeah, can you get want someone. to invite, if you want to invite Hubbard and Moore, and Jeffries to shoot that light elbow jumper, be my guest, because I think they're going to make those. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, as for State, though, I, I do think, obviously, though, like the biggest thing, it's can you dominate down low? And then, honestly, for Ole Miss, I know they don't take a ton of threes, but I think you have to, like, get after their perimeter offense. Like, again, they are a team, you know, we're talking about they, they want to invite the mid-range shot. They'll gladly take mid-range shots, and they do a pretty decent job of hitting them. But I still feel like they are obviously at their best, though. Like They, they still want to take the three, and they're very good at shooting the three. If you're State, I think you have to trust that like you've got the advantage down low. You did a great job of stressing. Like Auburn got nothing outside of the paint against State. I think you got to do that to the Rebels if you're going to have a chance because this is one of those things, though, like, Going on the road, tough to play. Like, we've seen what that arena can get to when, like, when an Ole Miss team starts hitting threes. And I feel like that's been the case so many times when we've gone up there. It's like they, they just start draining threes. And I know that was more of a howling issue, but like, they, they, they get behind. It. And I know state fans are doing, a, are trying to camp, campaign to take over the pavilion. And at this point, I won't doubt it. Uh, but Do I'm it. sure they're going to have a great crowd still on hand. tickets available. I'm putting out the call for y'all to – I have a test uh, Wednesday, so I can't go. I, w- I was thinking about it, though. I'm, uh, you know, six hours away from Oxford. So, it's yeah. not an option for me. Um, but it's going to be a very tough atmosphere to go play in. And, look, it's going to be difficult to get the win. I-, I think State actually matches up pretty well with Ole Miss, but I also recognize that – I mean, look, they're they're clearly an improved team. Even when Ole Miss has been bad, it's been tough to split, sweep that series. Like, last year was the first time in a long, long time that State did it. And keep in mind, it took overtime to make it happen this past year. And State was lucky to even force overtime with the way that last possession – well, the last few possessions went there. Um, if State can get a win, it's a bonus. It Look, it's not the end of the world if they split the series with Ole Miss. 
Obviously, you don't want to get swept. When it returns to Starkville, you better return the favor. But look, this is an opportunity to pick up a quad one road win. It's like I, I talked about just a few minutes ago. That's massive for you when it comes to the resume. So big opportunity awaits, chance to build some momentum, chance to uh, you know, continue to establish yourself as the basketball power in the state. But we'll, we'll see if state's able to pull it off. Um, that'll do it for this show. I know it has been nothing but basketball talk for several weeks now. We we are trying to plan things out for the coming weeks. Obviously, baseball season's coming up. We will have a baseball preview to go through, and maybe that becomes a couple episodes. It The tough part for us is figuring out scheduling where it's like, okay, we already take we, – we, we've done a good job in recent episodes of making it like one – under 40 minute episode of recapping and previewing a pair of basketball games for both men and women. Um, just kind of hitting the main points instead of having to, you know, have these longer shows. This is a longer episode, but this one deserved it because you're talking about multiple big wins. Um, finding ways though to balance being able to talk, like do some football talk. Cause I know like I'm, you know, we're all, we always want to talk football, mixing some baseball talk. So we're going to try to plan those things out. Like I know, even though we've become, we are a basketball school at this point. I'll, I'll, I'll establish that. Um, Not I get school. it. Just talking one sport does get a little old. You want to hear some other stuff. We're going to figure out how to mix that stuff in and, you know, make the schedules work. Cause that's the other part of it is we're doing two pods a week, kind of just throwing it together at a whim every single time. Cause nobody's schedules ever match up with one another. Um, but we will try to have more conversation than just basketball uh, in the coming weeks. And I mean, obviously, regardless, we're going to be talking about baseball because we're just, when does the season start? It's like two weeks. Uh, It'll be two weeks next weekend. Okay. Yeah. But baseball is right around the corner. So obviously we're, we're going to have, have to be able to talk about that. Spring football is coming up though. So there's going to be a lot to discuss there. Um, it, We will have more than just basketball is kind of the long winded point that I'm getting to here. Uh, but this was an episode we're only talking basketball. I think and was there was a, there was some positive stuff in recruiting this week too, but no commits this week. I think there was last week, and uh, we don't know anything more than that. All the, we're getting all that information second or third hand. You know, I don't know about anything about the twenty twenty five number one interior offensive lineman that visited Dubose any more than I haven't heard on other podcasts. So. Unless it's really important recruiting wise, we're not gonna we're not gonna break any recruiting news on this show. We're not gonna be breaking any news on this show. We we are not. We've sourced. done it before. It might have been before your time. We used to break news all the time. I used to break baseball news uh, routinely. Routinely is a strong word. Maybe we develop some sort of source uh, to become a a, a news breaking show yet again but currently that's not the point but no yeah there is some recruiting momentum building up levy and his staff are doing a good job um in the early goings there uh but yeah massive massive past couple of days for mississippi state basketball both men's and women's we'll see if they can keep up the momentum uh going forward for the rest of the week thanks everybody for listening thanks colton for hopping on as always swing your sword and hail state